chapter 13, verse 1. Fathers, thank you for coming. You guys are our heroes. I said to my wife today, I don't need much but a foot rub, some time off from the kids, a gift card, my free candy, and a little bit of loving tonight. I don't need much, just those things, and I'll be good. And I'm really waiting for those things. I can't wait for them. Honey, we got that going on? We got my favorite candy at home waiting for me? She basically said, I'll get my favorite candy on Father's Day when she gets hers on Mother's Day. She got a little sassy with me because we basically made a rule that we wouldn't go out of our way for Mother's Day and Father's Day because it just seems like, you know, for those of us who have been around a while, there's so many things to keep up with. There's birthdays. There's Mother's and Father's Days, and then there's anniversaries. So you got to, you know, pick and choose what's best for you. And this is normally what I say to people. If you've got to make up what you haven't been doing during the year on one day, you're already in trouble. And so when you see these guys, like let's say, oh, I forgot Valentine's Day. Uh, When you see these guys going all out on those days, it's usually because they've been really lame, womp, womp, all throughout the year. See, my wife and I, I just show up with the rose, and it's on for Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. I just give her a little back rub. She's good because we got it on, you know. So we pick and choose the days that we really celebrate. So we're going to do something special for our anniversary. June 19th makes 14 years of marriage for my wife and I. Amen. God has been good. Before my marriage to my wife, I had never been in a relationship longer than three months. So God has been good and faithful to me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. How many like sitting by the lake? Isn't it beautiful there by the lake? How many like sitting by the ocean? Same idea. The only thing about our lake is it freezes over in the middle of the winter. Not so much fun. But it is good to be by the nature that God created. Jesus was the same way. He gets out the house. He sits by the lake. you got to make times for encounters to be alone with God and to do those things. But verse 2, Jesus couldn't be alone for too long because such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Do you notice what he just did there? He's going out by the lake to chill and relax, but yet all these people come to him, and then what does he do? He makes a strategic move. How am I going to reach all of these people? He says, well, you put me in the boat, you move me back a little bit, I can see them all. God has wisdom for success in everyday life for you. You need to learn how to take up God's ideas and move in God's plans for your life. Jesus is a winning kind of God. Jesus is not hanging out with the losers and just saying we're all spiritual, so be happy. No, Jesus wants you to win in life with your spiritual life. Jesus wants you tomorrow, men, to go to your job and have strategies of success. And he wants you to be able to handle success in the right way. Because if you're not ready for success, success can be a nightmare. That's why you've heard those statistics where people have gotten a lot of money and they've lost it really fast. Sometimes you hear this about these guys who start off as nobodies, then they become famous. And what they do, they drop the wife that got them there and they get themselves a new trophy wife. You see, that's success ruining your character. you got to learn how to see the crowds back away and make that thing happen, Captain. Are you listening? It's time to get it on because God wants you to have a plan for success. Jesus was a successful person, and Jesus knew how to handle success. So he sees them coming. He's got the goods. He's got what they want. 
And then he takes a strategy to back off a little bit so he can see them all. And then the Bible says right here on verse, in verse 3, Then he told them many things in parables. From this point on, Jesus is going to start storytelling. Before this, Jesus would give metaphors, similes. He would say things like this. He would go, the kingdom of God is like this. That's a metaphor. That's a simile. He's comparing it to something. But if you've been tracking with us verse by verse since the beginning of the year, you've noticed that he's never told a parable yet. This is the time he starts telling parables, and Matthew's really clear to let us know. From this point on, the parables start coming. And so what we have to understand is that Jesus wants us to hear and understand his message. And so what are you giving your time and attention to? Because there are still parables being told today. We just don't call them parables. We call them TV and movies. So you might be like a dude here today, and you might say, man, I'm too grown for these parables. Are you too grown? You didn't see Endgame then? You didn't, you didn't wait in line to go see Star Wars? Come on. And then ladies, you think, oh, I don't get into parables. Oh, you don't watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians? You see, because that's a parable. That's a person telling you a story that has a lesson. Because that's not all reality, is it? Most of it's fiction. And that's what parables are. They're a fictional story, most of the time based in reality when Jesus is doing it. He's not telling you a story about aliens on, on Mars or something. He's telling you about real people and places that you would recognize in your world, but they're fictional because the situation actually didn't happen exactly the way he's describing it. And so the challenge that we have in the 21st century is, who's telling us stories and which ones are we believing and living out? Are you living out the story that you see on TV? Are you living out the story that they're presenting to you in the movies? Are you trying to be like Kevin Hart kind of a guy? Are you trying to be like these movie stars or whatever? Or are you trying to be a father like God the Father men, women like the godly women of the Bible, and children like those who obey their father and mother in the Bible? You see, who's telling our stories? You look around at all of these things that are going on. Some of them can be positive. I like to watch a Will Smith's bucket list. It's not so much fictional. You're actually watching his life. But he was a great actor, and he still is, you know. And he's told us a lot of stories. But has he told us the story about being a husband? Has he told us the story about being a father? Has he told us the story about being a man of God? No, he hasn't. He's given us his version of that but not the biblical version. Are you guys listening to me? And, and, you know, we can talk here about politics too, but politicians are trying to tell you stories. And as much as I appreciate some of the things Donald Trump is doing, I don't appreciate the story he's telling. Even though he might be a good businessman, what's that story telling me? Money makes you happy on your third, fourth wife, and you get to be perverted and still make it? No, I don't like that story. Are you listening to me? I don't like the story of Hillary Clinton either. I don't like the story of most politicians. Do I get an amen on that? The idea is everybody's got a story to sell you. Which one are you listening to? Well, just look back at your life this last week. Did you spend more time watching movies, TV shows, podcasts, bloggers than you did reading the Bible? Well, then those are your storytellers. Or are you putting yourself into the word of God, listening to the stories of Jesus? So at this time, he starts telling parables. Let's listen to the very first parable the gospel writer teaches us. A farmer went out to sow seed. Now right there, we got to put on the brakes. Do any of us even know farmers? 
Or is anybody here even a farmer? And I'm looking at the old timers over here. Because in the first service, they were the only ones who knew farmers and had done some farming. My mom, she's done some farming. How many people know a farmer or have done farming? Raise your hand. That's not too bad. Leave your hand raised if you are a farmer. You're a farmer. Amen. You're a farmer? Your, far, your family's a farmer? Did I ask you if your family was a farmer? The second one. The second one was if you're a farmer. Do you got overhauls, sir? Do you got a farm? I don't mean to call you out. But how about this? Do you have a garden? How many have gardens? Raise their hands. My wife has been promising to plant a garden for the last six years that we've been in this suburban house because that was part of the deal. We were going to get a garden. But I think the best she has right now is some little struggling plant in the back of our yard. And what is that? Is that a mint plant we got going on there? Basil. Sorry. So the most that my family is gardening is a struggling basil plant. Okay. But how many know we need farms? How many know Aldi's didn't make what you just ate yesterday or this morning? They didn't make that. That came from somewhere, okay? And so Jesus is talking to a predominant agricultural people. So the moment he says a farmer went to do such and such, they're like, oh, yeah, I know farmers. My dad's a farmer. I'm a farmer. My uncle's a farmer. My cousin's a farmer. We know what you're talking about. For us, it would be like somebody went to work. Now, how many of y'all got a job? Amen. Look around. If they're not raising your, their hands, those are the people you don't want to hang out with because they're going to bum off you. How many got a job? Raise your hands like you care in church. Come on. Amen. You got a job. That's basically what he's saying is this man went to go do some work, and here's what he did. Now I'm going to read the whole thing without any commentary. Let's see if we can catch Jesus' story. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. And let's read verse 9 together. One, two, three. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, if you just were with Jesus at that point, do you have any idea the spiritual implications of that story? I'm not talking about those of us who have read ahead and know what he's going to explain that story to be. I'm saying based on that information alone, do you have any idea what he is talking about? No, you would have no idea what the seed was, who the farmer is what the ground represents, you literally could make this tell you whatever you think it should be. You could say, oh, the, the, the one sowing the seed, that's Cher. And what Cher is doing is she's spreading her love everywhere. She's singing love songs everywhere she goes. And those who receive it, those are the ones who grow and buy her albums 100 times, 60 times, and 30 times, or put her on her playlist. It's all about Cher. Or for this generation, be Beyonce. It's all about Beyonce, right? Okay. Is that what it's about? Is he talking about a singer spreading love everywhere? Or what about revolution? There was a revolutionary sowing the seeds of revolution. And the ones who took it became a part of the army of 160 and 30 and brought a revolution to the nation. Is that what it's about? 
Or is it about what some preachers say? It's about, send me your money. I'm good ground. If you plant a hundred, you'll get in a thousand. If you plant a thousand, you get in ten thousand. Do I got a hundred? Do I got a hundred? Do I got a thousand? Hey, I'm good ground. Sow your seed. You would have no idea. Nor would I. I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about there. I have to read on. But notice what he tacks on after he says it. He goes, whoever's got ears... Y'all better hear this. But then he just walks away. The story literally goes like that. You know, guys, I see you're all here. I got a story to tell you. Goes through the whole story. Okay, whoever's got ears, let them hear. Okay, bring me in, guys. Okay, later. Good night. Let's go home. That's what he does. Go to the next verse if you don't believe me. Go to verse 10. That's why we go verse by verse so you can check the preacher. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Nobody understood what you just talked about, Jesus. Jesus, you just told them a story of farming, got off the boat, and just started heading home. We're all scratching our head here going, what are we supposed to do, buy a John Deere tractor now? Like, what are we doing? What's the point of that? And most of us already know how it works. You don't plant seed on the ground where you walk on. You don't plant it on cracks. You don't, you don't plant it with weeds. You, of course you plant it on good ground. What was the point of that, Jesus? Now watch this. Because Jesus now is going to teach us a principle about why he's going to teach us in parables. Jesus is going to literally hide his secrets in parables. And only those who want to hear and want to see are going to get it. Look at verse 11 and check the preacher. See if I'm telling you the truth. Because they asked him, why do you talk in parables? Verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And so who's the them? Who's the them over there? The ones who just went home. They said, well... Uh, he gave us some free pizza. He gave us some food. He went off there on a boat, told us about farming. Okay, I'm going home. I'm done. I'm satisfied. I guess that's what it is. And you'll see people do that all the time. Well, I went to church, shouted, clapped a lot. I have no idea what it was about. Won't trans my, transform my life whatsoever, but I'm glad I came anyway. You happy I came, honey? Father's Day, we're good. Okay, now I got the game on. And Jesus points out to them and goes, they don't have a clue what I'm talking about, and I'm doing that on purpose. You guys get the secrets. You mean Jesus will keep a secret from you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, let me just remind you of the Bible Jesus here, not Barney Jesus. Real Jesus is not on American Idol trying to get you votes. He's a king that wants to see if you're serious about being in his kingdom. So he just walks away. I told what I had to tell you. Now it's up to you. And he turns around and looks like these guys asking questions. He goes, oh, I'll tell you what it means because you guys want the secret. But them, they don't get it. Watch him keep going here. Verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So not only is Jesus not a socialist making sure that we all get a little piece of the pie, you got to work for what you get here. He's also saying he'll take the crumbs from you. So he's saying, man, you better use what you got. You better use it or you're going to lose it because I don't owe you anything. Think about a God that can talk to us like that. That must be a God that's serious. He is not here to be our genie in a bottle. You know, my wife and I went and saw the new Aladdin. Loved it. Cried at the end. 
Uh, won't spoil it here for you, but there's a genie in the movie Aladdin. What's his name? His name is Genie. I didn't know that was his name. I thought I forgot it. His name is really Genie? I could have I done that myself. Okay, so his name is Genie. Well, when Aladdin rubs the little thing that he comes out of, Genie's there to make all of his dreams come true. That's what genies do. Genies are to give you wishes. Is that what you think Jesus is doing here? Just giving you wishes? Just wish whatever you want for in prayer. It will come true. Wish upon a star. What, what do you want? You know, just all of this. Well, I want nice hair, Jesus. Oh, you got nice hair. Oh, Jesus, I want good breath in them. Oh, you got good breath in them. Oh, I want a Lamborghini. Oh, you got it. Is, that, is, that, is Jesus our genie in a bottle? No, according to the Bible, Jesus is our father that we're supposed to be in a relationship with and actually make a choice to be with him. Because last time I checked, no one was coming in here like Pinocchio going, man, I didn't even want to go to church this morning. Who's controlling me to come here? I've never seen anybody come down this aisle like, man, why is my hand going into my wallet? Why am I giving offering today? Man, come on. No, Jesus did not make you a Pinocchio. Jesus is telling us, you want more? Come and get more. You don't want more? Even what you have, I'm going to take from you. That's why you'll meet backsliders. They'll tell you scripture, but they have no knowledge of it because they're not applying it to their life anymore. They, they have head knowledge, but not spiritual knowledge to put into their life. They'll say, oh, I know that, oh, I've heard that. But they're not applying it because even what they have now is being taken from them. And then they scratch their head and wonder, why am I dating a zero? It's because you dropped the hero a long time ago. Jesus, the first man you were supposed to fall in love with. That's why you keep dating that same dude over and over and over again with different names and different faces. You, you wonder why you're busted and disgusted, living on Barely Get Along Avenue. Hello? You're living on Barely Get Along Avenue. And you're trying to figure out, man, why am I here? Why is this not working? It's because you're not working his word. He gave you a choice to do this. He doesn't come up to you and go, beep, boop, boop, love me. Oh, okay, I'm going to love you now. I love you, Jesus. Beep, boop, boop, come and give your offering. Oh, that's not how it works. He's telling us parables because he's testing us. Do you want to know the secrets? Then you'll get more. If you don't, even what you'll have, you'll forget. It says, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. And now it gets real serious. He talks about two prophets who brought judgment to Israel. He said, though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they do not understand. Help the preacher. Scroll up. Come on now. He gives them what Jeremiah said. And he says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving, for these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. They're literally going, I don't see Jesus. I don't see him. Prove it. Show me Jesus. And Jesus is like, you knucklehead, you got your eyes closed and you're asking me to show you something. I don't hear Jesus. I don't hear Jesus. I don't hear Jesus. And Jesus is like, you've got Cardi B so loud up in your headphones, that's why you can't hear Bible.com. 
You got your face so much in Facebook, you better put your face in his book. The Bible's teaching us clearly we got a choice to what we see and what we hear. I know my children make that choice all the time to what they see and what they hear. Amen? I love them. I love them so much. But, man, sometimes I just, I just wonder, are your eyes working, child? Are your ears working? What about this do you not understand? I was trying to teach my son how to kayak. And, and, and I, was just, I just launched off of the place where, you know, you can put it into the river. And there was all these people watching. It's already weird, you know, because people are watching me get in a kayak. And I'm not very good at it. I'm getting nervous. They're kind of fishing, just looking at me. And I'm trying to scoot into the water. And my son's in front of me. But then I remembered I didn't teach him how to paddle. I forgot to tell him. So I'm sitting behind. He's in the front. And I'm trying to tell him where to put his hands. And I'm like, put, I'm trying to get him to put his hands out like this so he can do this motion. And I'm like, put your hands on top. He literally grabs the top of the paddle edge right here, and he has his hand. At that moment, I realized I could use my paddle to hit him upside the head to help him. So in front of all these people, I'm like, bap, nope, not like that. I put it on top. Look at me, son. He's trying to look. And then he did it wrong, and I bapped him again. And then I realized I could actually use my paddle to start moving his hands. I said, just hold it any way you can right now. Just hold it, hold it. So he's holding it all like this, basically. So I put my paddle over his shoulder, and I'm ripping up his hand with the paddle. I got his hand to come on top of it. I said, now you've got it. And I asked myself a question. Is this really my son? How can this man, young man, not understand what I have said to him, what I have displayed to him, what my weapon him has tried to help him to get. But he finally got it. Now, God will be patient with us if we're willing to see and hear and take his gentle guiding because he does carry a rod, doesn't he? The Bible says that rod comforts us because when we see the wolf coming, he pulls it out, and he hits them like Jackie Chan, right? But that rod is also there to kind of nudge us a little bit. And by the way, he didn't get any bruises. Don't call the, the police on me, okay? It was just a gentle slap upside the head. It was just a gentle little nudge. Little, like, come on, turn your head and look at me, son. Because I kept saying, look at me, and he, wasn't, he was just like this. And I'm like, I know you can move your neck more than that. So I'm like, let me help you. <laughs> So there was probably somebody on the edge looking at me going, this father's crazy. Pray for that son. You know what I'm saying? So how are we going, how are we going along with God's word right now? Is God trying to give you the hints? Are you catching them? Or is God having to discipline you? Is God, is God looking at you going, why are you so stubborn? Or are you like this, the disciples? Look at verse 16. He says, this is what they're like. They have eyes they don't see. They have ears they don't hear. But verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but didn't see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And so he goes, guys, do you even get this? Back in the Old Testament, I used to ask them to do a bunch of crazy stuff and they would just trust me. He told one prophet to go streaking through Israel. And the prophet's like, why? And he basically just tells them like one sentence because I want them to know they're going to lose everything. And the prophet trusted God, stripped down naked, ran up and down the hood saying, this is what God's going to do to us. How many know that takes some trust? Because I've only seen that happen one time, and they called the police on that dude, okay? 
I am so serious. One time I was pulling up to the Iberville Projects, and the dude was naked running everywhere. You were there with me. And I was like, oh, Lord, let's help him, you know. And they got the police. Thankfully, they didn't hurt him, but they brought him to get help. But you know, you take off your clothes. You start running down any one of these neighborhoods. They're calling the police. God told a prophet to do that and gave him a one-sentence explanation. These guys, these disciples, and there was more than just the 12, by the way. There's women. There's probably about 100 to 200 real disciples and a couple thousand that are coming around those crowds, okay? So don't forget about those beautiful brothers and sisters that are there with the 12 as well. He's saying, you guys get this, and you have to understand how special you are because the other ones never got it like you get it. You get to actually hang out with me and ask more questions. Well, here's the beautiful thing about that. Did they get their answers? Yes, because they wrote it down for us. You are literally reading from the best friends of Jesus when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're able to go through their one-on-one with the master and hear these explanations because now Matthew tells us what this means. Does it mean Cher is just going to sow her seeds of love everywhere Is the seed of revolution? Is it a seed of sowing money to the preacher? Look at what it says in verse 18. Jesus tells us, and I'm thankful Matthew had ears to hear, eyes to see, because he wrote it down. Do you now have that same obedience? Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message, somebody say, here's the message. Here's the message about the what? the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So boom, we just got three nuggies right there, didn't we? Number one, we know that the one sowing the seed is the preacher giving us the knowledge of the word of God. In this instance, it's Jesus. For us now, it's the church. It's the Christians. What is the seed? It's the message about the kingdom of God. It's the message about Jesus Christ being our king and us being in his kingdom, loving and serving him. And then what is the ground? It's our heart, our response, what we do to the message, what we do with the message. And what did he say the one with the hard heart is like? It's the one who does not understand it. And then he brings in a character we had no idea was even there, the devil. He says, because if you think you're on neutral ground, you never are. You are either for me or you are against me. And if you are not for me, you are on the devil's side. So if you think you're going to hear the word and just chill and just make a decision later, no. That devil is coming quickly to take it. Now, we know he has demons on his side, but the Bible always generalizes it as the devil, as the evil one. And so this is the application. If you hear the words of Jesus and don't apply them, the devil will take them from you. It is your choice to whether or not you understand it. Now, let's just talk about what understanding is. Because it's not hard to understand what understanding is, right? Does everybody get understanding? Do you understand what it means to understand? It means to take your time to comprehend, to learn, to get the point. Do you know that every single one of us who are healthy and our brains are working, do you know that every single one of us could understand whatever knowledge is on the planet right now? Most of us would need a cartoon video to tell it to us, but how many know you could still get it? 
How many know off top what string theory is? I bring you up here. You're explaining it. You're awesome. Raise your hand, string theory people. Maybe only nobody in this service. Okay, sec, pray for second service. No, I'm kidding. Nobody in first service knew it either. I didn't even ask that question. But does anybody ever even heard of string theory? Particle physicists talk about string theory. But guess what I did the other day? I did, I'm bringing this up because I want to seem smart, by the way, but I'm already tell the truth. Guess what I did, Joe B? I wanted to learn about string theory, and then a cartoon thing came on, and there was a little cartoon string and these little molecules and all these things. And after three minutes, I was like, I understand string theory. Now, could I go into the laboratory and start doing it like them? No, but I got the basic idea. What's the basic idea of string theory? Well, Particles are made out of little strings, and those little strings vibrate, and then they make different kinds of particles that hold our universe together. Now, you might want more than that to go off and study that more. I mean, that's your choice. But I just taught you what string theory was, and that's the theory of how particles hold together. If I want to know more, i got to graduate from the cartoon level, okay? But that really helped me. And so I'm reminded of like Michael Scott in the office when he said, explain it to me like a fifth grader. And then after he didn't understand, he said, like a kindergartner now. I feel like there's a lot of things in life where I'm like that. I'm just like, break it down to my, my, my child right here. It's my four-year-old. Explain it to her, and I'll get it. Because some of you have very complicated jobs. Daryl tries to explain to me what he does every time, and I just don't get it. What he needs to do is draw out pictures, make noises, and tell me what he does as an engineer. Because I don't understand what engineers do. You look at these machines, and somehow they make stuff. And it's just all I see is a big piece of metal. That's all I see. How many just see a big piece of metal? But somebody has to get in there and tell this thing to do that thing, to this thing, to that thing, to this thing, to that thing. And then they have to fix it. And they're the only ones that know how to fix it because they're the only ones that make it, you know? And they have to be smart. But aren't you thankful somebody understands how to do that? Okay? And there are things you understand that other people don't understand. But here's the question. Do you understand Jesus? Because that is entirely up to you. If you want to understand him, you will study him. You will literally watch the cartoon videos about him. Google this or YouTube it, Bible Project, Bible Project. My kids watch it all day long, and I'm always getting my mind blown. It's like, wow, these guys are awesome. Cartoon, still cartoon level, but it's awesome. Bible Project, it's up to you. Just as easy as you're investing into all these things in your life, it's up to you whether or not you want to understand the word of God. Jesus says, that's important to do that. Otherwise, the devil will come and take it. Look at verse 20. He said, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. How many have ever known somebody who got saved, was on fire for God, loved Jesus, sang loud, you know, came to church, did all those things, but trouble, persecution came, and now you can't find them? Does anybody know anybody like that? How many of you were like that, and you just came back to be with us today? Welcome back. Come on, how many of you have been like that? Maybe today's not your day back, but you've been like that. I've been like that. When I first got saved, really saved as a teenager, I was 15 years old. I was in youth group where my parents went to church, and the youth pastor had a decision about which teenager he was going to put over Northrop High School to do the Bible studies and to really be a student leader there. It was between me and a young man that, that was really good Christian as well, and I really wanted to do it, and I thought it would be great if I did, but he picked that young man. And you know what I did to get back at him, to show him how great of a Christian I was? I left the youth group, went and got high, and gambled away my stuff that night shooting craps. 
That sure showed him. Isn't that what backsliders look like? Oh, their church is so full of hypocrites. I'm going to lose. I'm going to leave the church, go to this bar, drink, and have a cross on my neck and say I'm a Christian. Well, hold on. Isn't that hypocrisy? <laughs> well, it's not like I deny God or anything. Well, isn't that exactly what the hypocrite is doing too? They don't deny God, but they don't live like a Christian either. You see, we think we're so smart trying to get around the problems we face in life, but really we're just making it worse on ourselves. And here's the thing. Jesus did not promise us a trouble-free life without persecution. See, some of you came today to make your family happy, and that's cool. I'm glad you're here for that. But do you know in China, they actually don't go to church to make their family happy. You ever been to a Chinese restaurant? You ever seen the little Buddhas there? How about the ones where they actually put the plate of food before the Buddha? You ever seen those? They pray to their ancestors. They give food to their statues. Some of them even have little shrines in their house. And you know what do they say to their family? Don't go to church, otherwise we'll disown you. So here in America, going to church is what you do for your family on days like today to try to make it, you know, everybody happy. And there's actually countries where you make them happy by not going to church. What are you going to do then when you actually lose things? We think we're coming here like doing the lottery. Well, it won't hurt. You know, let me put a quarter in here, see if I can get some sevens. Let me come to church today. It's not going to hurt. Maybe we'll help my business. I'll get some good ideas. My wife will listen to the preacher and be better wife or something. Come on. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says you will fall away just like that. You will be just like a seed in this amount of dirt because the moment it doesn't go your way, the son of affliction will come out, and this is all you got to go through those problems. And you'll blame it on God, you'll blame it on the preacher, you'll blame it on this, you'll blame it on that, when the worst enemy is the one staring back at you in the mirror. Because you didn't want your depth to go deeper than this. Jesus, don't mess with me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Just help me out on Sundays. And if it don't go right those days, I'm going to hold it against you. And if somebody persecutes me, then I'm not going to come. And the Bible says that's why they don't bear good fruit. It's not anybody else's fault because I know Christians in China and have seen their videos, read their testimonies, some actually even attended our church, that are living the most vibrant lives in the middle of the most trouble and persecution you can imagine. Why? Because they've got deep roots. They've got deep roots. Some of them, they go into jail. They'll serve up to 10, 15 years. They will come out, and they will do the same exact thing again, and they will arrest them within the same week and put them in there for another decade. Read about it. The persecution of the church in China, the persecution of Christians in Islamic countries like Syria, Afghanistan, Iran. North Korea. These people are giving their lives for Jesus, and we get one bad report. We get one bad sassy person that sits next to us in the church. One, one thing I say up here, that's what you don't like, and then you're going to fall away and, and show the world how, how right you are. If you want to change me, let me just talk to you. You want to change me? Stick around for a while and show me what it's like to do what I'm not doing. If you don't think I'm the best husband, stick around for a while. Show me a better husband. You get my point? If you're just going to leave every time you don't like something, then you're going to be by yourself as a hypocrite like everybody else. You know how I change the most as a pastor? is by watching people here show me the lessons of their lives. I was encouraged by the Riascos when I saw them bringing out Samantha to our outreaches because she's about the same age as Bethany, and I was already holding Bethany back, and they wanted to go with me on some of these outreaches, and I was holding them back. And I saw them bring her out, and that encouraged me. You see, we get encouraged by each other. 
I, I get encouraged by you. We don't quit on each other. Now, obviously, you don't, you don't have to teach me how to, you know, do right by money if I'm stealing everybody's money. That's a good time to leave a church or something like that, right? But I'm saying, like, these things we all deal with in life that we're trying to live out, you don't leave a place just because you think you can do it better. You stay in a place to help it. Like, let's, let's just pretend about this for parents because it's a Father's Day. Let's say there's one thing your child can do better than you. Does that mean they should leave you now, leave your house, and go on their own at 14 years old? You know, my son is more generous than me. I told you the story at the beginning. He gave me $2. I'm still trying to figure out how I can take my dad out and do something nice for him because I'm, that's not my personality. But my son does it on his own. You know, some people are just generally nice. I, you know, and I think you might have, you know, taught me some generosity, so I don't want to say I'm not generous. But, you know, sometimes I forget to call him on days like today. And sometimes, you know, I forget to do stuff. My mom will certainly remind me. But my son, nobody had to remind him. He did it. He did it on his own. So does that mean now my son is better than me? He's better than his dad. He's going to go show us how to have a real family now. No. God places him in the family to teach us how to be generous. He's not in charge. He's not my boss. But my son can even teach me things. You can teach your pastor things. Grow your life deep in the things of God. And don't let trouble or persecution cause you to quit. Amen? Amen. Now the Bible says in verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And Luke in surround sound adds pleasures when he tells the story. So there's three things that are now the weeds of the story. The three things are worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, and pleasures. How many of you have wrestled with that in your heart before? How many get the point that at any time, even as we know the end of the story is having good ground, how many know at any point we could have weeds in our heart? And so in one sense, all of us could fall prey to this because we could give in to worry. And sometimes people will look at the pleasure weed or the love of money weed and go like, yeah, I know when that person left church because they wanted to have sex outside of marriage. Oh, I know when that person left church because they just wanted to work more and make money, not give it to the church. Yeah, but do you know that people leave the church and quit on God because of worry? They worry about whether or not they're going to be able to make ends meet, so they stop coming to church because they don't want to have to give. They worry about what people are going to think about them because they're going through trouble. They worry about what uh, their community is going to think because they go to a church that actually believes the Bible, and that makes them look weird when they talk to their friends at the water cooler. Worry about whether or not you can trust God. It's like, man, I might as well not even try if he's not going to answer my prayer. I worry about what's going to feel like to do all this and not get anything out of it. As a pastor, I see just as much worry affect people's lives as I do the love of money, as I do the love of pleasure. And Jesus said, all of them are like weeds in your heart. But once again, is that anybody's fault other than that person? No, the parable is teaching us that you decide what kind of heart you want. Do you want the hard heart that says, oh, I'm not going to put any time into this? Do you want the kind of heart that says, well, I'll just give it a try and see if it works? Or do you want the kind of heart that says, oh, it's pretty good, but if any time these things come up and they give me something better, I'm going to do this? No, that's not up to anybody else. That's up to you. So when I tell you that these three things are not choking me out today, you can believe it or not. But I'm telling you they're not. I'm a testimony. I'm a testimony. I used to worry about what my friends would think, but now I got new friends. I got new friends. I used to really be deceived by money. That's why I became a drug dealer and dropped out of high school at 16. I was deceived by the love of money. And I looked at my heroes 
and admired them because they could do whatever they want and they had money. Like they were rock stars. They were, they were movie stars. Those are the people I looked up to. And what else did I look up to? I looked up to people who could live out their pleasures. And I understand what those weeds are not only like as a new Christian, I can tell you what those weeds are like today. I can get worried about this church to the point where I can consider whether or not I'll pastor it. Do you know that they say upwards of 80% of pastors wish they could do something else? Why? Because they worry about what you think about them. I still have to deal with that and give that to Jesus. Do you know that I have to fight against the love of money? Do you know that right now I could have a separate career other than being a pastor? And I could do what you're doing and try to make money in that way and not have to worry about any of this mess? That sounds like a good life to any pastor if they get their head in the wrong space. Because a doctor doesn't have to worry about what you think about them. How many know doctors really don't care what you think about them? How many of you have met some sassy doctors? I'm not saying every doctor is bad. If you're a doctor here, please keep coming to the church. We love you. But you know you can be some sassy folks. But they make their money, don't they? How many have met some sassy lawyers? They make their money. How many of you know they just don't care? Take it or leave it. I'm moving on. I'm getting paid. How many know I can't do that? See, I get tempted with that. See, I'm just being honest with you. And lastly, pleasures. I tell this all the time to the young people. I've been married 14 years, but in 30 seconds, I could get a chick right over here and have sex, and it would feel pleasurable. Just because I have been married 14 years doesn't mean my sexual organs will not have pleasure with a woman that's not my wife. Pleasure is still pleasure no matter how sanctified and holy you are. The desire is still there. It's what you do with it that makes you a Christian, a sinner, or a saint. Are you listening? See, my desires can control me or I can be controlled by the word of God. That's called self-control. So you're not talking to a preacher up here that says, oh, I dealt with these weeds all way back when. No, I deal with these weeds every day. I got to check the garden of my heart. Now look at you. What's, what's going on in your heart? How are you doing with worries? How are you doing with the love of money and prestige and influence? And how are you doing with pleasure? Just stuff that feels good, but you know is not good for you. The Bible says that's your choice. The last one is where we all want to be. Verse 23, as Rachel comes, please. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone. Somebody say, I'm that one. Come on, say it like you mean it. I'm that one. Thank you. Refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I'm that one in Jesus' name. Amen. Be that one. For, for the sake of the fathers today, you be that one, fathers. You be that one. There's a statistic. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's like if a child gets saved, it's like 10% the parents will come to church. The child will come by themselves like many of our teenagers do. If the woman gets saved, it's only like 40% or 50%. Half or half will get their husband or family to come. If a man gets saved, it's almost like 80, 90% of the time the whole family comes. It's time men understand the word of God. Amen? That we put it down in our souls and lead the way. And of course, this goes for everybody. So what kind of soil are you today? Because these, these are the things that never change. The word of God never changes. It's right here. It's been here for a long time. And guess what? The devil never changes. He's here to take it. Guess what else has never changed? God has never changed. He's a good God. 
So what's the difference now? The word's the same. God's the same. Devil's the same. What's going to make the difference? Your heart. Your heart. Your heart. And I love how it puts in there, understands it. Because a lot of us have just thought this thing's just going to hit us on the head, come to church a few times, and now we got it. No. Come on, people. Can I just talk real for a minute? How many married folks in here are still figuring out your spouse? I have been married to my wife over 14 years, and I am still figuring her out. I am trying to understand her. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to understand my kids, and I've been living with them for 10 years. You know, some of one of them, you know, nine the other, the other one. You think you're going to come to church two weeks, three weeks, a month, and you're going to understand it all? What is this teaching us? You are a continual garden that's supposed to be growing in the knowledge and the understanding of God so that you can be fruitful, producing a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times. The question is, you got ears, but are you listening? You got eyes, but are you seeing? And quickly in closing, there's two major ways the Bible talks about bearing fruit. The first one is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The Bible says you're supposed to grow in those. You can have that all day long, 100, 60, 30 times. The Bible also talks in John 15 about having a fruitful relationship as he's the vine and you're the branches. And it says it's by obeying his commands. So on one side, you got the character of fruit. On the other side, you got the commands of fruit. God wants us to be fruitful in both our character and in our obedience. And that decision is up to us. And though we at any time can change the condition of our heart, though that is true, God is faithful. God is faithful to keep us when we invite him to be the gardener of our hearts. God has been faithful to my family, to my fa- to my parents, to me, to my home, to many of the homes here, to these beautiful missionaries that have been with us for a few weeks, and he will be faithful to you. I just want to ask you today to let God sow that good word in your heart so that you can reap a good harvest. Amen. Amen. Let's pray as the altar workers and band come. Just on your own right now, would you look at the garden of your heart? Maybe you're here today and you have a hard heart. Do you want God to soften that heart today? Well, ask him to change your heart. Say, Jesus, I want you to change my heart from hard to soft. And those of us who have already been Christians now for a while, can't you relate to that? All of us at one point were hard towards this, weren't we? But now our hearts are soft. God did that. Thank him for it as those who are doing it for the first time. God, soften my heart. Help me to to desire you, to understand you. Change me. For those of you who are here and you've just started Christianity or you've gone back and forth, back and forth, you need to go deep in your roots today. So whether or not you're new or you're still in the wishy-washy category, just ask God, say, Lord, Dig my roots deep into your love so that trouble and persecution can't take you away. Come on, pray through that if you're here today. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Just pray. Look at your heart. Is that you?
Next, and this should be for all of us in some way, how are you doing with those three weeds? Have you been struggling with the love of money, worries, pleasure, any of those things? Ask God to de-weed you today. Ask him to start disinfecting you from those weeds. Jesus, search our hearts. Show us who we are. As we're praying right now, you're more than welcome to make your way from your seat. We'll dismiss formally in just a moment. But even as you're sitting right now, you can move from your seat and come up here and have them pray with you. And then lastly, if you are here today and no matter what you're going through, you're deciding to be fruitful, would you let the Lord know that the things of your life actually belong to him and ask him to bless you in those places? So he'll make you fruitful like your marriage. God, my marriage belongs to you. Oh, Lord, I pray my marriage is blessed and fruitful. My children. Lord, I pray for my job. I pray for my family. We'll stand up in just a moment. But if that's you, you can make your way from your seat. And anyone here will pray with you to encourage you. Because your heart is important to God. And God wants you to be fruitful. But he will not force you. Whoever has ears, let them hear. As the band begins to worship, we'll stand up together and then we'll dismiss after this song. Would you stand up with us now, please? Come and get prayer if you'd like to do that. No one's judging. No one's looking down. We're here helping, encouraging as fellow people that have gardens of our own.